0: This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network. Visit us at fmpods.com. When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan.
1: This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one academic conference at a time. Proud member of the FM podcast network. I'm your host of freewheeling, Rob Kelly, and joining me this week to talk about our visit to Tulsa to attend the world of Bob Dylan conference and the Bob Dylan center. Our fellow Bobcats, Roberta Rekov. Hi, Roberta. Hi, Rob. And Matt Simonson. Hi, Matt. Hey, Rob. Thank you both for being here. I really appreciate it. Absolutely.
2: Oh, delighted.
1: It was absolutely marvelous to get to meet you both in person at the center. Uh Well, not at the center, at the conference itself. So Matt and I both appeared on panels of our own, and we attended some panels as well. But I didn't get to see nearly as many panels as either one of you. So Roberta, I want to start with you. There were a couple of keynote ones, right? You And Matt, you saw one as well. Roberta, which ones did you see, Roberta?
2: Uh, so my husband and I got to attend all the keynotes. Um, so Cass Sunstein, um, Griel Marcus, uh, Happy Traum, which was unbelievable. Yes. And then, you know, a really unusual one that Jeff Slate and Margot Price did together that was just unforgettable. Each one of them was great, unique, and it, really quite quite an impressive group of keynotes.
3: I saw Grill Marcus and I saw Cass as well. And then both of those were fantastic. Oh, I saw Happy Trauma as well. And those were all great.
1: Yeah, I, I did get to see the Happy Trauma. And we'll talk about that near the end because that was truly unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> that panel. What did Roberta, what did Cass Sunstein talk about?
2: So I finally learned to pronounce what Cass Sunstein talked about, was, which was dishabituation. A subject <laughs> about which he is writing a book. Um, but basically what di- he talked about Bob Dylan's, uh, the, the, the reason that people get frustrated sometimes with the fact that Bob Dylan just keeps moving to the next thing, um, is that dishabituation is something that compels you to keep moving. Um, that you need to not be doing the same thing. You need not to be in the same habit. And he gave a long lead in, um, and I'd be curious to hear what Matt thinks about it, about what it was and how it applies to all parts, marriages and life and you know all kinds of things. And then circling back to the fact that Dylan seems to draw creativity from never staying in the same place and that that's very necessary to him. So it was a really fascinating take on why Dylan's music keeps moving and why the, the next record, next album that comes is always nothing like the previous one.
3: Now, Matt, you saw that one too? I did, but I can't say it any better than Roberta did. Right. Uh, it's, <laughs> it was, it was uh, exactly that, just the whole sense of the artist must always be in a state of becoming and never in a state of arrival. Or else they start to die, and their art dies, and I think Dylan exhibits that um uh, better than anybody, and I think Cass covered that uh extremely well. What did Grail Marcus talk about? he talked about film Noir uh, and tied it into later day Bob Dylan, and uh, it was very interesting. I heard him speak at the world of Bob Dylan in two thousand and nineteen, and he talked then about time out of mind. About the blues, about, uh, racial relationships in the United States, uh, and, and weaved in the Tulsa, uh, Black Wall Street, uh, massacre that was there. And it was just unbelievable and incredible. And so this year it was one of my things that I needed to, uh, see before anything else. And the title was the only thing missing was Gloria Graham, Noir Tones and 21st Century Dylan. So it just sounded exciting. And I know you're a <laughs> film buff. Yeah, uh, as well, Rob. And you know, he started off and he started talking about in in general noir. He started going into details around these different films, and you kind of sat there and wondered how is he going to tie this back into oh, yeah. Bob Dylan? <laughs> uh, and 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 but you knew he would because he's so excellent. And and of course he did. And he started weaving the tale just about um, you know not caring uh, that sense of entrapment uh, that Noir en- encapsulates, that post-World War II area where everything is fixed, and the only way that you can get out of it is to game the system uh, In that kind of mindset and world, and he kind of weaved the tale in and out of Noir and Dylan and talked about um, Water for Carly Patton, talked about a lot of the old blues singers and their travels through the periods of the 30s and the 40s And then finally brought it back to uh, Murder Most Foul. And Mm. I thought that was great because that was uh, a song featured uh, in a lot of the discussions uh, that were there. And um, everybody had maybe a slightly different take on it, but uh, his was excellent. And, And I should mention his book that just came out, the biography and seven songs included an essay on Murder Most Foul. And if you haven't read that book, you definitely need to go out and get it.
2: You know, the, the other thing I would add to what Matt is saying, and by the way, the book is fantastic, is how gracious Greil Marcus was uh, in, to other people who were presenting. In the session on humor, he made a point of, of going over to Harry, um, Hugh, who, who presented and tell, spending quite a bit of time telling him how much he enjoyed it. Um, he made sure Ray Padgett got a quote for his book. I mean, he was really very accessible and kind and really thoughtful. the other presenters.
3: One interesting comment he made, Rob, was when he got up there, he said, this conference is special. I'm assuming he's been at many, many conferences. (laughs) And he said, one of the things about this conference is that everybody brings their A game. He said, nobody shows up here with a paper they've talked about 15 or 16 times and they're just going through the motion. He said, everybody here really steps it up and tries to bring something unique to, uh, you know, an admittedly difficult crowd a crowd of people that know an awful <laughs> lot of things that can be intimidating so um that, that was an interesting point and he certainly you know outshone most of the presenters i mean he's just he's just incredible when he speaks
1: it did occur to me in the moment when we were there uh, when I, I i turned to my friend dan who was with me and i said this is simultaneously the most forgiving and unforgiving crowd you're ever going to present to <laughs> because everyone knows it's so chapter and verse, and yet everyone is there for this incredibly specific reason. I mean, it really, it, even at like a Comic-Con, which I'm more familiar with, there are stratas of comics that you can be into, and then there's other parts that you never go near and you have no interest in, and you even look down on. that. That definitely happens. But, you know, we're all here for this one guy and his work. You know that's incredibly specific, so uh yeah. And it was just sort of fun to look and kind of look around the crowd and just see. Well, I got all these people are here for this this the same exact thing. So the uh, panel with Jeff Slate and 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 Margot Price that was like a that was like a did she talk or was that like just like a con- not just but more like a concert because I know they sang
2: they so they did sing um but actually it, this was really great. So Jeff Slate interviewed her. And that was actually the bulk of what they did. They did perform and, and they were beautiful together, but he interviewed her about what Dylan meant to her, what he meant to her process, um, how it impacted her songwriting and her music. And she's a very interesting singer. You know, she's a feminist. Um, uh, she talked about that a bit and it was sort of a, how different country music has become but he um he spent a long time asking her questions. uh She talked about you know naming children after bob's songs and uh, <laughs> uh, and but just that her journey through music had been so incredibly impacted by listening to Dylan, and she said that she goes back to his music all the time, all the time. Um, when she's trying to write, so it was, they were absolutely wonderful together. And Jeff Slate's such a great interviewer. And of mm-hmm.
1: course,
2: you know, we—you felt like you were one degree of separation from his interview with Dylan not that long ago. Maybe you, I
1: don't know if you do had this experience, but I was the one kind of minor frustration I had with the conference, and I understand why this was: is that there were at any given point three panels happening all at the same time, which means you mm-hmm. had to pick and choose which ones you wanted to go to and that meant I didn't get to see certain ones I wanted to see because I decided well I really want to go see this and like there was a panel on theme time radio hour which I really wanted to see and it was scheduled at the same time that the panel I was on and I'm like well all right again I get that they they want to have a lot of choices did both of you get to kind of see the main thing you wanted to see or did you have to skip out too?
2: It was hugely frustrating because there were so many things you couldn't do. Um, Actually, Matt, your panel was like really appealing, but I think it was uh, my husband and I said we wanted to support the graduate student, Nathan Blue, who we'd all been communicating with about our registration and everything. (laughs) And so we went to his panel, which was the same time as your panel. Um, uh, I I, I went to hear Laura tensured at the same time that Rebecca Slayman was speaking, but Went over to wish Rebecca well and she actually had someone tape it. But no, it was very frustrating because there was so, there was a lot of depth in the conference, I thought.
3: I share the same frustration and I think it's a testament to the fans, uh, that, that come and want to present. Uh, Grill is right. I mean, everybody brings their A game and it's definitely frustrating. You have to go through and it's, uh, kind of a Sophie's choice. You're like, okay, which ones am I going to miss here? And I, yeah, I had considered skipping my own because there were a few more that <laughs> I thought looked pretty good.
2: Yours looked really good. you know. <laughs> so that was, I think that was very frustrating.
3: You mentioned the taping. I think that's one thing. If, uh, if they're listening, I, I would recommend is that they do record them and at least at a minimum, make them available to the attendees who have to choose, if not uh, making them available to a wider audience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really wanted to see Rebecca's, but I was busy off doing something else. I did get to go to yours, Matt. I made it a point to attend to yours. Why don't you explain to people what your panel was on and what your, your paper was on specifically?
3: Sure. So my panel was on, uh, I think they called it Bob Dylan's Raid, uh, was the name of the panel. So um, there were three of us who were scheduled to present. Um, Paul Haney, who is a uh, kind of co-editor of the Dylan review, uh, myself and then, uh, Richard Westling, who has written a book called The 12 Rounds with Bob Dylan, the pugilistic poet. And unfortunately, Richard passed away about two weeks before the conference. Oh, uh, I think his book is now available on Amazon. Um, his, his friend Michael came up and, and gave a little excerpt and talked about it. So I definitely recommend people checking that out on Amazon. Um, so we, Paul and I uh, gave a, a little presentation about Dylan's rage. Uh, Paul's was titled Blood on Your Saddle, Bob Dylan's Homicidal Voices. and was very, very excellent. And then mine was uh, titled Anger Through Life, Bob Dylan and the Tale of the Angry Epics. So I picked a few songs that I've always loved and tried to figure out uh, what was it about them I love so much, and what did they have in common stylistically? And so the the songs that I picked out were It's All Right, Ma, She's Your Lover Now, uh, Idiot Wind, Foot of Pride, and Murder Most Foul. And my presentation was around the thesis and premise that Bob Dylan had suffered uh, some type of traumatic loss or hurt. And these songs represented a catharsis of him, a venting of that anger and a processing of that anger that was necessary for him to kind of move on with his life uh, through different stages. And I tried to touch on uh, Dylan as a young man, how he dealt with anger uh, versus Dylan as an older man and how he dealt with anger and showing a little bit of the maturity and wisdom and, and reflection that comes with a little bit of that. Whether I did it successfully or not, I I don't know, but, uh, you did,
1: Matt. I enjoyed it very much. I really oh, thanks, did. Bro. I wish I had, had a chance to, uh, attend more of them. There was actually, I, of all things, I actually had a business meeting, uh, Friday morning with somebody in Tulsa with n- something completely unrelated to Bob Dylan. It was just something because I do have other interests and it just happened to be this company was in Tulsa. And I was like, well, while I'm here, I have to take this opportunity. So I ended up, uh, uh, ubering over to Broken Arrow in mm. Oklahoma, which apparently even for people that are from Oklahoma is like the sticks. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I had a nice woman, uh, who apparently does concert security and she did the Bob Dylan show last year. And she did not even know that there was a Bob Dylan center in Tulsa. Wow.
2: Which how I, can she, how can you not know when you land in the airport? I know
1: it's, it's quotes, right? As soon as you get off the plane, <laughs> they're, they're all Bob's Bob picture Dylan looking at quotes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but she was very nice, and then the Uber person who took me back uh, was a transplant from Montana, did not like Oklahoma at all, and almost got me killed two different times, driving around 80 miles an hour. Down the uh, Oklahoma highways, and uh, yeah, and the Uber smelled like weed. So it mean, was a lot. Of, I was <laughs> one
2: of those experiences. Well, yeah. you know, your your panel got very lively.
1: For anybody, okay, let's explain to everybody. Our panel was on was called Talking Dylan, and it was about podcasting. I was incredibly nervous because I like the even though I host a podcast, I host many podcasts. I have the safety of being behind this microphone. And nobody can see me when I'm doing it. But being on stage is very antithetical to anything I'm I'm terribly interested in. So, at the risk of sounding like I'm sucking up for compliments, you what, were good. What, <laughs> no, no, we're not, not going to talk about me. What was your? How did you guys feel about about the, the the podcasting panel, Roberto? What did you you were both there? Thank you very much. What did you enjoy about that that
2: panel? Well, first of all, the diversity. Uh, among the podcasters. And you, if you were nervous, Robin, it, it definitely didn't come across. You you were very relaxed. So that was That's really good. interesting. Um, and I thought, of course, you know, and I think I innocently asked a question about what podcast do you think is missing, right? That there are 14 podcasts, but what's not there? And that raised a really kind of hot issue about diversity. Mm-hmm. In the general Dylan community, whether in the podcast community or, or otherwise that it, um, uh, both from a, a gender perspective and then a racial perspective. And it, I thought it was a really interesting discussion and very lively, but you know, it got a little, you know, you could, you could just feel a little bit of tension going <laughs> on. And I thought you were, you were actually, um, you were pretty safe because you are very diverse in the people that you bring on you were in good shape, but it was, it was a good, I thought it was a really good discussion and an important discussion.
1: I don't know if I would ever do another panel again, because I think I was just so nervous that I don't know if I want to subject myself to that again, <laughs> but uh I, I Yeah. You know, it was the kind of thing where you should, you should try and challenge yourself. And I was scared to do it. I'm like, well, that's no reason not to do it. So we did it. And maybe I can, if if they do this again in 2025, which is supposedly when they're going to do another Dylan one, I would not be on a panel and just see as many as I could. So, uh, but again, it was, it was, I, and I, all props in the world, by the way, to Craig, who did 90% of the work, he did all the, all the tech end of it and all of the pulling up of data and things like that. And so he really did a lot of the work. I just sort of showed up. And uh I also felt a little shame because uh, Daniel had extensive notes and like a real prepared thing. And I just kind of winged it, which is kind of going back to high school or whatever. But, uh, you know, like I said, I tried to just answer things as sort of honestly as I could uh, in in the moment. Uh, Matt, what did you what did you think of the panel?
3: I liked it quite a bit. So I'm a big fan of everybody who was up there. I listened to all of the podcasters, to Laura and Daniel, you and, and Craig as well. I really think it was interesting. Craig showed all of the different Podcast centered around Bob Dylan. Because Rob, I think you've mentioned before when you started you couldn't find any and you think you were either the first or one of the first. And now they're pretty early in,
1: yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Full slide. And I think it was interesting how Craig uh, segmented them. Uh, some are you know biographical, some are song by song or album by album uh you know Daniel's is wonderful and his is almost more like a theme time radio type thing where mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. picks picks a theme and then explores it in depth and Laura's are of course you know very deep and researched um and and focused on an interesting topic i think she kind of allows the inspiration to find her uh and then she jumps in with both feet rather than having kind of a set plan and i thought that was great because up on the panel there was a lot of diversity that comes across in the podcast so i i think that we as listeners and recipients are benefiting from a diverse group of podcasts um in terms of the style the format the message and uh, laura's obviously wanting uh, more voices and more representation beyond that of just kind of the traditional uh white male uh podcaster or author and um you know, it did lead to some good discussions, and I thought one of the interesting topics was somebody in the crowd uh, kind of seconded the notion that there needs to be more uh, female podcasters. And Craig quickly jumped up and said, "Hey, would you like to do a podcast? I have a network here ready to support and launch uh, <laughs> podcasting." And uh, you know, I know our our friend uh, Ray Pageant announced that he's going to have a new podcast mm-hmm. on the FM network, uh, so I, I'm really excited about. Craig kind of establishing a platform that can support new podcasts about Bob Dylan, and um, has an idea of maybe which segments are underserved or where there's an opportunity to talk about Dylan in a in a way that's not currently being talked about. That's fantastic. We all benefit uh, from Craig's investment and effort in that, and and uh, you as well, and Lauren, Daniel, I think uh, really deserve a lot of credit for. Kind of starting this uh, new wave of interaction with fans.
2: Yeah, I, and I think Craig is really trying to come up with a business model that works, at mm-hmm. least, you know, somewhat for people who are doing this, for the amount of time and energy that goes into it. And it, it's really interesting what he's trying to do. You know, also diversity from an age perspective. And, of course, we were all looking over. I think you've had Rebecca Slayman on your show, right, um, yes. Rob? Yeah. So we were all looking at Rebecca, who's just – so lively and fresh and charming, whatever, and saying Rebecca podcast, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because she represents a group of people in their 20s, um, mm-hmm. which would be wonderful to have. And uh, she has very fresh take on all this and is incredibly articulate. So if you're listening, Rebecca, <laughs> come on, do it.
1: Uh, but yeah, we we had a good time and I enjoyed it. And again, all props to, to Craig, because he sort of really put it all together and I just sort of um, showed up. So one of the panels that I did attend. Was the humor panel. Oh, so good. Dylan and humor. And that was Daniel Radosh and Danny Fingeroth, who's been on this show, and Harry Hugh, who has been on this show. So I'm two for three there. Harry's was about how funny Bob Dylan is. You know, the idea that he is very, very funny. He's known as the, such serious guy. And yet he is really, really funny. And he made a lot of great points and he got a lot of great laughs. And as we saw, like, yeah, Grail Marcus came up to him afterwards. And then Danny Fingerots was talking about the connection between Bob Dylan and comics, which was right up my alley because, like, I'm a big comic book fan. And I loved having Danny on the show because he comes from the world of comics and so do I. And so it was great to kind of combine those two interests. And he even managed to find reference. I mean, anybody as prevalent in the culture as Bob Dylan is going to appear in all sorts of art forms, uh, even accidentally. And he pulled up a bunch of old, comics from like the 50s not the 50s but the 60s 70s 80s where bob dylan appears or use you know a writer would use a song title and things like that and so that was a really great yeah. Uh, presentation yeah i think yeah, bob Dan, and Dan,
2: Nicole- oh, 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 sorry oh, go ahead, go sorry. ahead matt no, no, go ahead. Well, i was just gonna say uh
3: yeah danny kind of pointed out that bob dylan the culture became inseparable i mean just
2: mm-hmm. dropping
3: song titles and images and not in an obvious way, but just like everybody got it that like, yep, that's a reference to Bob Dylan.
2: I think uh, Dan Radish was really pulling out a lot of examples of Dylan humor, um, uh, which was great. I thought what Harry did, he did a couple of, he he was incredibly funny himself and, and he did a wonderful job, but I think he also pointed out how often critics of Dylan don't get the humor. And, you know, he referenced the philosophy of modern song and, and people taking, when I was reading, for example, the divorce section, whatever song it was, I can't remember, but the whole, <laughs> you know, Dylan's whole riff on divorce and the philosophy of modern song. And I was just laughing uproariously. And then all these people writing reviews saying, oh, well, you can see he's really bitter about the amount of money that his divorce has cost. <laughs> and, and, and Harry really pointed out, they just don't get it. You know, the, the, how funny he is. And of course, I can't remember, you know, who it was, if it was, um, uh, Dan Radish or Harry, whoever said, we are waiting for that book of Dylan um, dad jokes <laughs> <laughs> that are all so terrible. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah. My pal Dan and I saw Bob in Philadelphia in December of 1995, I believe it was at the Electric Factory. That's when he had Patty Smith opening for him. And that night he went on a tear of telling dad jokes, complete with rim shots by Winston Watson. And I remembered him and I were looking at each other like, boy, he is in a mood tonight. Cause he was literally doing like my, my ex-wife was so self-centered. She called herself Mimi, you know, he just like mm-hmm. stuff like, and we're like what, <laughs> what is it? What is I, really he's right. in a wild mood tonight.
3: <laughs> yeah. what good Daniels, Daniels was really pointing out where Dylan was, I'd say intentionally being funny with an obvious joke. Like the send me up a room or, Freddie or not here, I come calling out where Dylan's telling Dad jokes, and he's funny, and then it was great the way they structured this, and they get um you know Nathan and Sean deserve some credit for structuring this. Harry comes up and he's talking about when critics say Dylan is unintentionally funny, and his point was that no, Dylan's just funny if you don't understand he's being funny, that's on you, but don't say he's. Being unintentionally funny. And I remember one of the stories he told was the time Tom Petty, George Harrison, and Bob Dylan were sitting at the coffee oh. table during the Wilberry session. And George Harrison walks away and Dylan leans over to Tom Petty deadpan and says, You know, he was in the Beatles, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which, which we all think is hilarious. And, and Harry was talking about somebody who said, yeah, Bob's just unintentionally funny like that. Like he doesn't realize that that would be a funny thing. And he's just like, "No, he goes, "Bob knows that's funny. That's hilarious. That's Bob trying to be funny because <laughs> Bob is funny." And <laughs> and it's just that Midwestern dry sarcastic sense of humor that some of us in the Midwest have and
2: we have uh, it. To, and
3: <laughs> absolutely. We love it. So,
2: <laughs> you, you know, one I a couple um that I would highlight, I think The panel where Ray Padgett was able to play selections of the Mm -hmm. um, uh, interviews that make up his new book. Did anyone else attend that?
3: Yeah, I I was in that one, too. That one was one of the best ones.
2: Um, That was it was unbelievable. You know, I saw Stephen, um, the director of the Bob Dylan Center was sort of sitting off to the the right. And though I. Any of us who get Ray's newsletter have heard some of those stories, but that's really different from hearing Winston Watson tell the story about you know his daughter you know they can't find her she's oh
1: man, that's amazing they're looking
2: everywhere for her and you, know, and she's with Uncle Bob, and then he's all worried about the girl who's splashing white paint on her boots
0: <laughs> and
2: you know we we were he, he could have gone on forever. I think we were just and and, and I think it's a real sh- any anyone who heard that would to, to hear those tapes and I guess Ray doesn't feel the quality of the tapes are such that um they would make sense to be in an archive but I sure hope someone can clean those up and Yeah well you and-
3: you won't you won't find a nicer guy than Ray um to start with and um it was funny his family was there and his daughter kind of burst into the uh presentation while he was going and it's our dad up there, so that was kind of a cute moment. But I'll plug his book, if that's okay with you, Rob. But pledging oh, of course, time of course. is coming out. And if you haven't pre-ordered it or ordered it, uh, do so right away. Uh, it's an amazing uh, collection of interviews, some of which we've read on his newsletter, but some will be new that he saved for the book. And the audio clips that he played, uh, they were just fantastic you know one of the funniest ones he mentioned was uh, roberta around the uh, sharing of the audio he said well you know i was talking to rambling jack and well they you know his wife was doing the dishes in the background and they were just kind of chatting and doing dishes and drying dishes while he was talking to me so it was a little loud but i think that makes it even more compelling to listen to
2: yeah i'm, I'm waiting for my book to arrive and matt maybe you remember i can't remember who it was who said yes bob turned up and we were playing. He goes, I want to play with you guys. And they're like, that's great. That's great. Because, you know, we know all your songs. He goes, no, no, don't play any of my songs. And when I come up, just say, I'm a hitchhiker from Vancouver.
3: Right. And Yeah, some Canadian <laughs> rocker that uh, yeah. wasn't that famous.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, it was one story. I mean, the, it gave what the information he's collected is going to be invaluable.
3: I mean, that's the thing, though. The presentation's everybody has given were wonderful in their own respect, but Ray's directly contributing to the canon and the academia behind it. I mean, these are firsthand accounts of people who have played with Bob Dylan. And every time I've read one, they've come across as brand new information to me. Things It's not people rehashing the same story. It's not Al Cooper talking about how he sneaked in behind the organ during like a Rolling Stone. I mean, we've heard that a lot. But these are fresh, personal stories that uh, just kind of blow you away when you read them. And you just realize, like, my God, as much as we know about Bob Dylan, there's just an infinite amount that we don't. And every time we get a new little piece of information, it just blows us away.
2: There, there was a, another really charming moment in um I don't know if anyone was able to attend the one on Dylan in the 80s um, that Aaron Callahan cared. But one of... so. The room was packed because I think people just love talking about, you know, this is such a controversial decade and people have (laughs) really, they they actually love it and they want to come in and defend it and all that. So uh, Jeff Fallis, who um, is a poet who, appeared twice, once on video in the in, about Most Foul, but that because he couldn't get in. But then he was on this panel, and he is a poet at the University of Georgia, and he was the poet laureate of Athens, Georgia. And so he stood up and he said, um, you know, they wanted me to write an essay, but I'm a poet, I don't write essays, so what I've done instead are 20 sonnets based on Bob Dylan's set list from the 80s, right? Wow. It was just, it was hilarious and amazing what he had done. And uh, uh, Grayley Heron, who is a professor who presented and has written a book about Dillman, afterwards, I said, Those were just great. He goes, Well, they weren't classic sonnet form, Roberta. You know, (laughs) he said, But given that he was working with what he was working with, you know, but who would think of getting up and doing 20 sonnets?
1: (laughs) An ode to empire burlesque yeah Yeah. so when 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 ray said that he was worried that the the tapes aren't of high enough quality does he mean like literally like the audio quality is that what he's talking about yeah i mean if there's any crowd that is completely okay with listening to junky bootlegs to get the information it's bob dylan fans i can't imagine they sound that bad that they wouldn't be worth Listening to dishwashing or not, I don't think it'd still be worth it. I mean, I, I, you know, my first time I heard Caribbean wind, it was, it had so much hum on it. You know? It was like, it was almost drowned out, but it was still worth it. Cause we're diehards. Like,
3: yeah, we all own a copy of the armpit tape and, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> Poinsberg from, uh, 1966. It sounds like someone taped it from the subway across the street. <laughs> it's in all of our collection.
2: I, I, I can't believe someone's not going to try to contact Ray and try to clean those up. Yeah. Oh my goodness.
3: So well, Ray's a raise a young man. So there's plenty of time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to make sure I, first of all, Roberta, I do want to talk about like the overall, the switch yard, like the whole presentation mm-hmm. and stuff. And because again, I didn't really get to engage with that, that part of it, but I, I have my notes here and I make sure we want to mention the one panel we all were at which was the Saturday night Happy trauma.
2: Oh, let's talk about that.
1: Because, and I have to thank Matt, because I knew that Happy Traum was having a panel, but I had forgotten when it was. And so I had gone back to the hotel room and then we were kind of planning how to get together. And then Matt, you said to me, you know, we can go get dinner, but are you going to the happy Trump panel? And I was like, Oh, when is that? And I got out the book and it was in like a half hour. And I was like, Oh geez. Okay. Yeah. We got to go. So we walk across that weird bridge and, and, uh, and, and walk through the building to get to the hotel. And so the happy Trump, panel for anyone who doesn't know happy Trom, long history with Bob, one of the stalwarts of the folk scene in the late fifties, early sixties, but more specifically to my interest, he, is playing with Bob on Greatest Hits Volume 2, where they re-recorded a bunch of Basement Tape songs. And they did uh, I Shall Be Released, Down in the Flood, and You Ain't Going Nowhere. And You Ain't Going Nowhere, that performance of it is one of my top five Bob Dylan songs ever. All of them. Out of all 600-plus covers, plus this, that song is one of my all-time favorite things and so i thought what am i gonna get to see this guy that that was on that record like oh my god and i thought that was going to be just enough but holy jeez was this presentation off Uh, the charts good
2: so it, it was beautiful wasn't it
1: the photos he had of himself at the time and like getting arrested at the the with the folk singers singing in in the in the park in New York and that that guy what was the guy getting arrested the guy what what was the instrument that he had
3: A harpsichord. Um, the That's harpsichord the
1: harpsichord <laughs> all these cops dragging this nerdy looking guy away with his dangerous harpsichord and he was funny and tight and I mean just unbelievably good and and just you know really told marvelous stories and then he got to the part where he talks about Bob calling him in to play on Greatest Hits Volume 2. And he's like, you know, hey, Happy, do you play bass? No, I don't play bass. Well, you're playing bass. Come over and bring the bass, and you're going to play on this record. It's like a very Bob thing to do. And so then at one point, Happy, he starts talking about the three songs, and he says, my favorite is, and I'm like, "Oh, which one is his favorite? And he says, it's the You Ain't Going Nowhere. And I'm like, oh. And he started to play it in the room for everybody. And no joke, I started to get like a little misty-eyed because I am like, this song means so much to me. It It brings me so much joy. And here I am listening to the guy playing on it. I just couldn't...
2: It was unbelievable. I couldn't
1: believe it. I just couldn't believe I was in that room in that moment to hear this guy talk about it. And I just... I was like, oh, of all the things that I saw, including my own panel, this was my number one favorite thing. I mean, no, no... No knock on anybody else, but this this thing was just so much more amazing than I would have thought it was going to be, and so it was just absolutely marvelous. And it ended up being the last thing Dan and I went to see because we ended up Matt having dinner with with you and some other guys, and then we had to leave early in the morning. So it was it sort of ended our trip, and it was just so perfect. But what I mean, both of you, what Robert, what did you think of it?
2: I it, it I thought it was absolutely joyous. It, it it was so wonderful. And the combination, first of all, he plays beautifully. He sings wonderfully. All of that was great. But his stories, you know, and he talked about the sessions for Greatest Hits, uh, Volume 2. He schlepped all his instruments on a bus. From what's, do you remember when he said that? He yep, said, well, yep. I, I guess they didn't have a car, you know. So he's bringing, he borrowed a bass from somebody and, you know, he's bringing, he's bringing three instruments on the bus. <laughs> and I was trying and then he told this really adorable story that he and his wife were invited over to the Dillons for Thanksgiving. And they get there and Sarah says something like, well, we'll start in a while, but the boys are coming over. And he's like, who are the boys? And she goes, you know, the band. and it it was just one thing after another was so great and of course he he could talk about bob dylan in a very familiar way that you know not intimidated or you know none of the above but his stories were amazing his photos were amazing the singing i think the whole room was so happy i which i didn't mean to Go along <laughs> with his name there. I'm so sorry about that. Um, I can't believe I just did that. But anyway, it, it was. It, I thought it just dropped in wonderful.
3: Matt, what Where I, well, I went really hoping to hear Happy Trom tell Bob Dylan stories, and then by you know first few minutes, I was interested in hearing the Happy Trom story. You know, he told his mm. own story. Dylan mm-hmm. kind of weaving in and out, but. His story was amazing itself, amazing. and it was it was fresh, it was new, and you know, oh, and Dave Van Ronk, and then uh, Carolyn Hester. Here's a picture of me and Carolyn Hester, and name dropping. I mean, he was a an integral part of the community all the way through. His his stories were wonderful. He still sounds great playing. And then at the end, he says, "Oh, I found this picture here. I thought I'd pull it up since he's playing tonight. Here's me and a
1: young Larry Campbell." walking yeah. down the streets of New York <laughs> from 1982 it was unbelievable oh by the, that story that he told about the boys coming over not only was the band there but so was george harrison
2: i forgot about which that was how like, did i forget yes right
1: imagine george harrison doing an unexpected drop in on your house like that <laughs> <laughs> just like and i and think i think i even said like bob was kind of off in the corner not talking to anybody which sounds again very public and it was george that was going around like hello hi hi and i'm like oh my god yeah hi i'm george <laughs> i'm george yeah you yeah. know he was in the beatles uh <laughs> you know? um, and and i have to mention this too because uh but because matt you deserve credit for this because uh this was a real team effort here so at the end of the panel uh, everybody and the the hall was almost full like that. He really packed him in, like he had a really large audience. But I wanted to go up and say thank you for the, for, for being the, I wanted to just shake his hand. And I go up there and I'm, I'm waiting and there's a large crowd and he's at the lip of the stage and, and people are saying nice things to him or whatever. And I'm standing there. And then I, I went up to him and my, my pal Dan had, uh, his phone and he's taking pictures and I just told happy. I said, it was just a marvelous panel. And I just said what I just said about you ain't going there where where." it's one of my favorite things. And I'm just, I was so touched that you, that, that you came here and told these stories and I got to hear you. It was wonderful. And he was like, oh, thank you. What's your name, Rob? And I said, I do a podcast about Bob Dylan. Oh, that's great. But whatever. And, you know, there were people after me, so I kind of just shuffled off. And then we go on to the hall and it's me, my pal, Dan, and you, Matt, and Mark Godfrey. And- you said to me, did you tell him that you do a podcast? And I said, yeah, I did. But I didn't get into the details because I never liked to bug people. And a couple rows back in the hall was his wife, Jane, of I think what, 63 years. They've been yeah. married. Yeah, 63 years. So you said to me, well, you should go in and talk to Jane and, and tell her that you want to have happy on the show. And I'm like, ah, oh, oh, I don't, I don't, you know, ah. I, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. And I'm like, no, I don't do that. So while I'm talking to Mark and Dan, Matt disappears for a second. He goes into the hall, and then he comes back out, and he goes, "I told Jane about you. She wants to get your contact information." <laughs> so
2: <for> you, Matt. <laughs> Matt,
1: Matt <laughs> so I was like, oh, all right, okay. So I'm walking, so I walk in and Jane is standing there and people are talking to her. She's very nice, but it dawns on me. I don't have a business card. I'm terrible at marketing. I don't have, I don't have any information on me. And I'm like, I'm not going to just tell her because she's not going to remember. And so I'm kind of like, uh, and then Mark pulls out paper and pencil (laughs) and hands it to me. And so I scribble down. Pod Dylan, my email address, my name, blah, blah, blah. And then as I'm like finishing it up, Matt leans over and he goes, your phone number. I go, oh, yeah. yeah number. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just terrible. And so I gave Jane the information and, and she took it. And, you know, hopefully I'll hear from them or something. But I really did appreciate the overwhelming team effort from Dan and from Mark and from you, Matt, for helping me. Uh, blow past my own insecurities and and getting the information to lead to jane and you know maybe i'll get to have happy on the show
3: so anybody out there listening who knows happy or jane give them a little nudge and have them give rob a call because that would be (laughs) imagine having him talk about you ain't going nowhere i can't Uh, yeah yeah. just don't stick him with wiggle wiggle or something like that
1: (laughs) <laughs> I just like I said it was it was just such an amazing, an amazing, amazing moment. And that uh the, and this is something some people talked about in the lead up to the trip was you know, this is kind of an expensive endeavor, you know, to you know, you're flying out there and you're getting a hotel and food and travel, and good lord, I spent several hundred dollars on Ubers, you know, and not everybody can drop several thousand dollars uh for this kind of thing. And that's a shame. There's no other real way to do it. But at the same time, it does probably weed out certain people that might be interesting just because they can't afford to be able to do it. And but that said, like that moment, the moment with happy and then the moment with all getting to meet all of you was like, well, yeah, I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad I spent the money to do this because this is a kind of a once in a lifetime sort of moment to meet all these people, have them all in one spot. And so it's like, yeah, I'm so glad that I did this. So uh Roberta, though, I we do want to talk a little bit about Switchyard, like in general, like what? Right, explain well, to people what that is even. Exactly. So,
2: so what they did this year was the university. There, there's just this real intellectual and arts and cultural explosion taking place in Tulsa, right? And you, you, you're very aware of it while you're there, and a lot of it's fueled through the university and a lot from the George Kaiser Foundation, which has put up the money for so much of this. And so, um, what they did this year, they were launching. A very, very, very high end journal um, of arts and culture, and they had some of the essayists there a, a, a Mexican journalist, a Bulgarian um, uh, uh, essayist, a, a Black an African-American poet, um, people who are in it, but it's gorgeous. And so this was the launch of that. But they did all these things around the Bob Dylan, the world of Bob Dylan. I think they knew they would have a built-in audience, Mm -hmm. right, with the world of Bob Dylan. So um, at the beginning, and we were kicking ourselves that we didn't know this or we would have gone earlier. They did a whole day on banned books, and they had uh, Maya Kobabi who – um, wrote Gender Queer, which is one of the most banned books, and Art Spiegelman, who wrote Mouse. And they had uh, performances that were part of um, much more artistic performances. They had a one-man um, uh, poet. They had a, a, a poet do a one-man um, play, and they had a sound thing from Mexico and all of these things. And, what, and, and I guess they're going to keep all this joined together. But what I thought it really showed was just what is taking place in Tulsa. Generally, beyond the Bob Dylan Center and beyond just the the world of Bob Dylan, but this real um, intellectual and arts explosion. And there, you know, uh, the Kaiser Foundation pays for artists to just come live there. Uh, wow, it, I, we we met the the editor of the journal. He goes, "Why well, am a George Kaiser fellow?" He goes, "They just paid for me to live here for six years." You know, and they they pay artists to move to Tulsa. And um, it's it's fascinating what's going on. And so and, – and, of course, they said the Bob Dylan Center has fueled a lot, right, uh, of this. But it's really transformative there.
1: That's remarkable. So,
2: yeah. So so they're going to – I gather they're going to keep these together. But you were saying my biggest fear is next year won't be about Bob Dylan at all or will we, it be Dylan adjacent? Or-
1: yeah. Well, we got on the bus that was taking us after the Happy Trump panel, taking us over to – what was the name of the place, Matt, that we went to? It was, it was Kane's Ballroom. Kane's, Kane's Ballroom. Ballroom. Right, right, right. Where Bob has played and stuff because Larry Campbell was performing there. And uh, it strangely, enough, it was raining. Like it was like super sunny and hot the whole time, except right after the Happy Tron panel. And we had to walk kind of across town a little bit to get to Kane's Ballroom. And then it was pouring rain, but they were running these buses, these school buses, which was fantastic, incredibly convenient. And it was sort of funny because. We sat down, Dan and I sat in our row, and then this guy sits in front of me, and you, Matt, start talking to him, and at one point, you called him Sean, and I'm like, oh, is that is that Sean Latham, the <laughs> the director? And But I didn't want to ask that out loud, and so even though you and I were sitting right next to each other, I texted you, <laughs> like, is that Sean Latham? And then I see you look at your phone. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. And I heard him say that they think next year they're going to do something on Dolly Parton. And then 2025 is is Bob again, right? Is that, did I hear that right, Matt? Yeah, it sounds like Switchyard will be an annual event and the World of Bob Dylan
3: probably a biannual event with okay. World of Dolly Parton being next year. Wow.
1: Okay. And you that's...
3: left off one of the most interesting parts of our... Our journey that night was when we got done and ready to go to Cain's Ballroom uh, we got in the hotel's um, elevator and all of a sudden we've been seeing the same people kind of for a couple of days all the stereotypical Dylan fans and then all of a sudden the place was overrun by all these young 20 something girls with sequin dresses oh, <laughs> knee high white cowboy boots and cowboy hats and Everybody just kind of had a stun, like, wait, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? And it was a Shania Twain concert. Right. And all, and all the, all the Twaniacs were all over the place. And we had Bobcats and Twaniacs. which was just kind of a weird, <laughs> uh, kind of a, uh, yeah, I don't know. We, I, what I, I said, something's like a Venn diagram where the circles don't touch at all. <laughs> <laughs> no crossover, uh, at all in the of there. But that was kind of interesting and just, uh, with the Switchyard. A lot of different musical acts all over the place a lot of them are really really good too
1: uh robert you mentioned the bob dylan center and we, i have to make sure we we talk about that because this was my first visit to the center uh dance too and so we ended up spending saturday we devoted saturday to uh going to see the the center until the happy trump panel and uh, you two you've been Roberto, you've been there three times already
2: well, we we were in Tulsa last October, and we went twice, and then okay. this was our third. Yeah.
1: Okay. And
3: Matt, how many times have you been there? Four different days. So <laughs> I went. I, yeah, I went three days in a row the first time I went out. Wow. There, so. Um, because
2: there's a lot to absorb.
3: There's a
1: lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's a funny thing. So we went in there, and again, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I did do an episode on the show uh, with. Uh, with Robert Reed and Allison Rapp talking about the center. And, and so, you uh, know, but I, had, and I saw, I've seen, you know, videos and things like that, but still it's, it's a different experience when you're actually uh, in there. First of all, I love that when you walk through the main doors, after you go through the gift shop and you're kind of like, where do I go? And then there's that giant photo of Bob pointing and you're like, Oh, okay. That's where I'm supposed to go. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate like good art direction here in the, in the hall. And so the first floor, is just, to, is the wraparound on the, the outer wall is the story starting in like the 19, you know, Bob born in 1941 and wraps all the way around it and ends in like basically with Shadow Kingdom, essentially. And then in the center are these sort of installations focusing on six songs. And it's Chimes of Freedom, Like a Rolling Stone, Stone. Tang It Up in Blue, Joker Man, The Man in Me, and Not Dark Yet. Those are the, those are the six songs. And it, first of all, I don't know how Bob reads his own handwriting. First of all, like it's so tiny, it's like a bird. I mean, it's like I don't know how he uses any of that material as reference later on. I mean, again, we can all read our own handwriting, I guess. But that was there was something truly quite stunning about seeing the actual artifacts there, encased in glass. I mean, the actual notebooks, you know, the 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 red and blue notebooks from for Blood on the Tracks and. I mean, it was it 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 did have a very strange kind of holy feeling to it, to see these artifacts right in front of it. like wow these are the things that the guy held like his wallet with Johnny Cash's phone number in it and things like that like that was just sort of stunning. Um, what do you guys think of the those six songs? I don't even say it's a criticism because I, what do I know about running a center? I know Bob doesn't like the word museum, running a center, but it felt. Weird to me that, like, out of 600 original songs, it's distilled down to just six. And I know you said that, Matt, that they're going to swap them out occasionally. Yep. I think they're probably,
3: I think Tangled Up in Blue and Like a Rolling Stone will probably be permanent. And right. I think the original intention was to rotate the other four.
1: Okay. But I mean, what do you both think about that? Did did it feel like a little limited to you to, to just focus on six out of no,
2: when the catalog
1: I, is so vast? No,
2: because I, I like the way they did it. So, you know, when you come in and you get your little he- headset, right? And mm-hmm. you can tap on there. So there's, they use technology to give you a layered experience with each song, right? So there's different things that you're hearing and and you can plug into. and 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 I think they're meant to be, Look at you have six hundred as as you and I have discussed, there's six hundred songs, right? Mm. And um you can't do that. So instead, I think they've done a really good job of taking a representative group of songs. And with each one of those giving you a deeply layered expe- layered experience using technology. And you can stand with one of those for quite a while. I particularly love like the Jokerman one. They have the interview with the remaining members of the plugs
0: mm-hmm. which was
2: just i don't know if you got to watch that which is just charming and fabulous and, and and um so interesting and so i think they they what they have done is to try to represent different eras in a very smart way they avoid biography almost entirely right there's just that thing when you come in and it, it's great. But um, this is about a different kind of experience. And it's not really about a catalog. It's trying to just give you a sense of of all the layers that go with each one of these eras. And I think they do a really good job of it. Um, I, I, I it, It's impossible to do everything. Um, they do have that jukebox that Elvis Costello has curated. Mm-hmm. And there's 150 songs on there. Um, I, I think they do a really smart job with it, and then, of course, you know did you did you go upstairs? Obviously, you went upstairs. Did you get to watch the restored film, the film project they're doing there?
1: Yes, yes, I did.
2: And that's really something.
1: It, and that, per- yes, yeah. I, you I, know. I mean, I could see that when you've got six hundred songs to perm from, you you could make it overwhelming if you decide to talk in depth about 40 of them because it just becomes too much so i that part i i understand it entirely i did just feel like wow say there's just but i i also again i also agree with what you're saying because you don't want i mean you have to imagine that you know most people coming to the center are diehards but you also don't want to make it just for diehards you want People that are in Tulsa for other reasons that might be interested or know Bob Dylan on a surface level and are like, Oh, this might be interesting. And you don't want to overwhelm them with the minutiae because then they're just like, okay, what do I care about this thing or whatever? And that's kind of almost what upstairs is for is the granular stuff that all of us nerds really enjoy. So I can understand that, that idea. And the thought you mentioned, Roberto, the Joker man, like I loved the Polaroids from backstage at Letterman when he, when he did that bit with the plugs. Yeah. Like, the, the, that was just, oh, my God, <laughs> so marvelous. And, like, the the uh, hotel stationery that he wrote Chimes of Freedom on. I mean, that, that stuff is just and, unbelievable. And did you, did you
2: notice over by the blood on the tracks notebooks? And, they you know, there's a third one in New York that was there, I think. Matt, you probably got to see for, for the initial yep, opening. I, yep,
3: up. I saw yep. all three the first time I yeah. went.
2: So people go up. So the notebooks are behind glass, obviously, and they're opened up. And people go up and they just put their hands on the glass and stand mm-hmm. there. Have you noticed that phenomenon? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, a piece of the true cross or something. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just standing there and they stand there for a long time. <laughs> so it, it, I, I, they're also trying to give you just a sampling of what's available in the archives. And then using technology so that you can um, experience a bit more of it, too. Because... There's no way to give you a sense of there's so much in the archives
3: yeah, if you if you go to the center uh and you watch every second of video, read every plaque, listen to every song, go through every video, it'll take you approximately twenty hours yeah uh, don't ask how I know that uh, but it'll take you approximately, <laughs> I, I approximately that, twenty yeah. hours. <laughs> And uh, Steve <laughs> Jenkins has said that it represents 1% of the archive. Yeah. Uh, and so, they really, you, Roberta, you mentioned, I mean, they just do have an impossible task of curating. It's a labor of love. And Steve, uh, Steve Jenkins, a wonderful man, if you get a chance to talk with him, has described their uh, duty is to service all three types of people who come in. He said they have the gimmers, the swimmers, and the divers. And he said, we have to present something that will represent Bob Dylan in a way that all three types of people leave exhilarated and happy. And, and I think they pulled it off. I think it's really incre- incredible how they've done it. I've, I've been there and I found something new and exciting and um, just that fascinates me every time. I, it's incredible how they do it and I can't wait until they start replacing some of the... Um, uh, four songs with, with some new exhibits because, uh, it's definitely worth the trip to go read things about it that you've never seen before.
1: Uh-huh. I did think the, the technology, like the interface was really beautiful and seamless where you just have that little iPod like device and you just plink it up to the little symbol. You know, mm-hmm. all the exhibits have that little circle and you go bloop and it just starts playing it automatically. Uh very, again, you know, I mean, obviously in this age of COVID, you don't necessarily want everybody like touching lots of this is not the Bob Dylan Please Touch Museum. It's meant to be kind of you're looking at things. But I thought that was great that you could go bloop and listen to this version of Tangled Up in Blue and go bloop and listen to the studio version and listen to the Joker Man and, and things like that. So that I thought was all really uh quite, quite beautiful. And so, yeah, the upstairs, that was where I was. I just was in manna from heaven because oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all the tour stuff, the Columbia Records merchandising, there was a um a full length three-dimensional stand up for Street Legal that was and I I took a photo oh, of it,
2: it. It is Street Legal day today. So,
1: yeah, yeah, oh man. And yeah, and I took <laughs> a picture of it and I said I would kill for this. And uh actually Craig tweeted back at me and he goes, "Don't kill me. I have that. It's in a storage locker in New Jersey somewhere." And he was like, if you, wanna, "If you want to, if you want to give it some fresh air, I'll lend it to you." And then I said, "Craig, if you give it to me, you're not getting it back. So don't give it to me." My graphic design background and my that that stuff, I love all that. I all that stuff. Just think of all the records he's put out, and how much stuff has had to be generated for his tours, and all the letters, and like all the There was a letter from George Harrison joking about mm-hmm. we got to do another Willbury's album. I'm like, huh? you know, like, <laughs> oh, what that caught my attention. I mean, that, and like you said, Matt, like we, as you said, it's like, it, it's 1% of what they have, which is, yeah. ah, you know, like, oh no, I'm conjuring the last scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, oh my God. And, you know, you, you told us about this before we went, which was the research room, which is behind a glass door and it's locked and it's stenciled on the door. It says for appointment o- by appointment only. And I turned to my buddy Dan, and Dan was like, "How do we make an appointment? Like, how do we, how do we do that? Like, you know." And one of the people that works at the center was back there, and we were just kind of staring at them, like, "Imagine what." Can
2: we come in?
1: (laughs) The good news
3: is, Rob, that there's a new book coming out um, by Mark Davidson and Parker Fischel, who are the archivists and in charge. Probably one of the two that you saw called "Mixing Up the Medicine." It's six hundred. I think in 608 pages of photos uh, oh, of, of some of the things that are back there. So
2: oh my uh, that, God. that'll be
3: a great book that's coming out this October.
2: Yeah, oh. and, and I think, you know, if you sat through those, they are, you and I have talked about this, Rob, that, you know, the, the importance of trying to have enough of a film record of performance that's high quality mm-hmm. and they're taking all of this film footage and they're Doing this massive restoration project, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be so important, and it, it time consuming. But what they you can just see that, the, and they show you when you see the films the difference between what it looked like before they restored yeah, it yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. now, and you can see how different and immediate it's going to be.
3: It's like watching a fourth-generation VHS tape that your buddy gave you versus the DVD copy that comes out. It's this night and day difference, the level of detail and the lighting. It's really amazing, the stuff they're doing.
1: Yeah, they have this 45-minute video presentation, and there's like a little theater tucked off to the side with chairs, and you can sit in it. And once I saw that it was starting over, I sat down, and I just was like, I'm just going to watch this all the way through. And it just goes through his whole life in like five year increments. And there's like, uh, you know, music from a short film that he did that never got released. And then some hard rain stuff, a uh, performance of uh, I Dreamed I straw St. Augustine. There was a, a version of blown in the wind that he did when he was on kind of the born again tour, which I, you know, I've never seen that footage before. And it looks like they, they had a cameraman like right on the stage mm-hmm. right there. Cause he's right up in the face of Bob and everybody else. And so my only dissatisfaction when it ended was this should have been longer. I could have sat through three hours of this, not 45 minutes. Uh, I, I, that I could have watched all. That's the kind of thing where, like, if they had said this is an all day event of it, I would sit. Okay. Let's do the center for two days. And one day I'll just sit here and watch all this because yeah, it was so I, fascinating.
2: I, I think it's important to remember the center is not just what you see in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it is all the work that's going on behind the scenes that they're they're doing and uh and doing so intelligently
1: it was it really was quite quite stunning it really was and dan and i had an amazing time looking at all of it and uh man i really want that street legal tour jacket with the unicorn on the back like what
2: who well who doesn't
1: yeah (laughs) um and which leads me to one thing i want to mention before we exit through the gift shop the merchandise right okay i had to be good i couldn't break the bank. I had like a budget of how much I was going to spend and the prices there were actually relatively reasonable as gift shops go. But all the t-shirts are all young Bob. Why can't I get old Bob merchandise? What is this? What? I, I want old grizzled Bob on a t-shirt and you can't get that. I'm like, am I the only person that doesn't necessarily just want 25 year old Bob on a t-shirt? I like the way he looks now. I, I it's like, why is the why is all Bob Dylan merchandise so heavily focused on him at twenty five years old? I don't know. I went I like old Bob. I like old yeah, Bob too.
3: Me too. I didn't I guess I didn't pick that up, but you're right.
1: <laughs> I ended up buying the the t shirt that just says the Bob Dylan Center, Tulsa, Oklahoma, just in white on black. It just kept it kept it simple. Dan bought a uh, a tambourine. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I bought some postcards and uh what an, oh I bought a um but a magnet and a mug for my wife, so she's been using that. So I would like the idea of going back to Tulsa is like, oh, am I really ever gonna go back to Tulsa again? Maybe not, but the thought of seeing it once they put in some new installations would be so tempting. Oh, you'll be there. Just... <laughs> okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Um so yeah, it was it was really, really quite amazing. So when you went you both went this time, Roberto, let me start with you. Like, what did you see there? Was it kind of seeing everything over again, or did you discover something new that you had maybe oh, missed no. the first time around? Well, first, first of around?
2: all, they, they've switched out the films, um, mm. so so that was new. There was a brand new, a wonderful photo exhibit. You know, the we um, been, they they switched those out, and that was okay. you know the um, the photos that were taken in Bob Dylan, you know, really young. Photos when he was first in New York, and we've seen some of those, but not all of them before, and those are so it's very different seeing them like that um so that was um that was new and um i'm I'm like matt i mean i we spent i think about seven hours there last October we probably spent about two and a half now, and I still didn't do everything I wanted to do. I do want to Stand in front of that jukebox and listen to everything. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's no time to do that. And, um, uh, and I, I, you know, get more fully into each one of the songs. So, um, no, they're, they're always changing. They are changing things out. And that, that upstairs space is always going to be about new exhibits. And, and, yeah, so I think, um, it's going to be a, a revolving, um, experience. But I like going back to the things I love too. I've seen that film when you come in a few times, you know, and, and so it's a great experience to have over.
3: And it, yeah, the it, film, the opening film is great. It's like, it's, a, it's kind of in the mode of uh, No Direction Home a little bit. It's, it's a different footage, so, but it's, it's really great.
1: And it's, you know, it's funny when you talk, the way you're talking about Roberta, that it's always changing. Well, that's perfect for a Bob Dylan center, yes. isn't it? It, <laughs> so, it? You know,
2: it, 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 it's dishabituating. <laughs> It's because Sunstein would tell us.
1: Yeah, it was really starting. Matt, did you, was there anything new that you discovered there since the last Yeah, time?
3: so when I went the first time, they had the Jerry Schatzberg photo collection. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, there was a lot of the photos. You've seen that photo shoot where he's like holding the telephone cord up on the on the ladder. And he's got this pure like 66 Dylan vibe. And then this time was the Ted Russell photos from... His apartment, Fourth Street, uh, was Susie Rodolo. I think it's from 1961 to 64. They had a bunch of different ones. And, and you've seen some of the photos, but he had all of them. And there were a lot that you hadn't seen before. And so that was really neat to see all of those. And then I, uh, my, one of my favorite parts is the studio they have in the, in oh, the yeah. corner. And they have, it's made up to be like a recording studio. And they have five songs in there. Uh, the first three, um, they give you these dials where you essentially can mix it yourself, where you can <laughs> turn, turn up or down the vocals and the bass or the drums or the electric guitars or the organ keyboards. Uh, it's like a Rolling Stone, I want you and knocking on heaven's door. And so first of all, I mean, like a Rolling Stone and, uh, knocking on heaven's door can't be improved sonically. Those <laughs> are, those were recorded perfectly. Uh, but I want you as an interesting one because you really get a different song when you play around, uh, with the, with the mic. And then the other two where I spent the majority of my time, uh, covered Mississippi and most of the time. And they go, uh, into some of the history of his struggles recording them. And it's basically studio tape. Uh, it's outtakes that you've not heard before. Uh They're not complete, but they're snippets. And it's a nice little narrative. It's him on the acoustic guitar, uh different than the Telltale Signs version of most of the time. And he's really struggling to kind of find the form of the song. And he's kind of mm-hmm, hum, mumbling through it and singing something. And, you know, then he'll hit something serendipitously that you recognize because you've heard the final. And then he goes, hmm, that was kind of nice. You know, and <laughs> oh, I kind of like that, you know, and you can hear the song coming together and that is just pure magic and the same for mississippi It uh, goes through seven or eight different clips of him trying completely different versions of mississippi again a lot of them you haven't heard from Telltale signs or even from fragments and then it shows the evolution and then it it records the released version of mississippi on love and theft but it has the count in and you can hear him pound it off and then as the band's getting ready to ramp up he just starts saying all right come on come on let's go let's go. And just like the, like a coach pumping up the team before they exit the locker room and then just launches into that mississippi riff that you all love and i i could sit and listen to that all day so i i went back and i i spent a good hour just listening to those over and over and perfecting my i want you mix uh as much <laughs> as i could
1: <laughs> Look at me, I'm Daniel Lenoir <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> but that's a seg- that's an a- area they could upgrade um not upgrade, but they could rotate songs in and out mm-hmm. and cover different studio sessions uh i would I would go back just for that and the middle section,
1: yeah, it said it's it's an amazing achievement. And I am so glad that I got a chance to finally see it. You know, everybody, a bunch of people went last year and I, I didn't get to go and I was like really doing, feeling a lot of FOMO and then, but now I got to do it and I got to see it. And, uh, yeah, as you say, Roberta, I will probably end up finding my way back there okay. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> so, um, okay. Well, you know, we've been talking for a while. We should kind of wrap up here. Is there anything else either one of you just want to say about either the center or, the event, or anything, just in general about the the the, the weekend that you had, uh, Matt. We start with you. Well, the highlight for me uh, was the people. Uh, I were the people that I got to meet, and so
3: uh, it was great meeting you, Rob. Robert, I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you know, in person, but next too. time, 2025, 20, yeah. We'll
0: yeah,
3: uh it was it was great to uh, to meet Harry for the first time. And I see Ray again. Uh, I got to meet Grayly Heron, whose book, uh, Dreams and Dialogues, and Dylan's Time Out of Minds, one of my favorite books.
2: One of my favorites, too. Yeah. And
3: uh, uh, Mark Godfrey, you mentioned him. Uh, Rob never met Mark before, but no. you know, we spent a lot of time getting to know him and met Daniel from Hard Rains and Slow Train*. So to me, that was best part out of an absolutely outstanding weekend were the people that I got to meet.
2: Yeah, I, I would say the same thing. I'm part of Lord Tenture Zoom. And all of a sudden, there were all these people that I, you know, I talked to once a month, but never seen in person. And, you know, Grayley and Laura and Harry and, you know, Julie and I just all, uh, all these people. And that was great. And then meeting all of these other people. Um, I think we discovered a um, a crossover between people who teach Irish literature and people who teach Bob Dylan classes. <laughs> Starting with Sean Latham, but there were three other people like that there, and uh, and there and there were people from all over the world, which was also kind of fascinating. You know, someone who had flown in from Australia, wow. so um, that was really wonderful. And I think we have to give a real shout out to Sean Latham and his and Nathan and and his whole group there because pulling off something like pulling something like this off is so hard and uh they did it with very few glitches and it is really difficult and um they did a great job you know i'm I'm, 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 I'm sorry go ahead man
3: well i was just gonna say like like any true dylan fan you know the biggest complaint that we all have was that it as much as it was it just wasn't enough no it's the (laughs) ultimate compliment right
1: absolutely that's actually that's a perfect perfect place to leave it so Thank you both for doing this. I really appreciate it. It was great getting to meet both of you. And Matt, we got it was to great sp- meeting you. Yeah. We got to spend, Matt, we got to spend a lot of time drinking beer and talking about Bob Dylan, which is like the best way to spend an evening. So, uh, again, thank you both for, for doing this. I, I wanted to make sure we had like as, as many kind of perspectives on the, the weekend as possible. So I really appreciate you both, uh, coming back and, and i back on the show and doing this with me. So I want to ask you both a unique exit question because both, yeah, you've both been on the show now because I'm springing this on you right now, I don't want to make it too hard because I don't want to put you on the spot. Cause actually one point during the panel, Craig asked me a question I didn't have an answer for. And I was like, uh, and he gracefully moved on to another question, which I could answer. I thought of a brilliant answer 10 minutes after the panel was over. Uh, but it did me no good then. But <laughs> in the moment I just blanked, but so I don't want to do that to either one of you. So I'm going to try and keep this as limited as possible. So, Focused on the Bob Dylan Center. We just talked about how the first floor focuses on six songs and we know that they're going to swap songs out. So Roberta, I'm going to start with you. What they come to you, Roberta, and they say, what song do you want to see given this treatment? What, what's, what, you know, your choice, personal favorite or historical value, whatever you want. We have the access to notebooks and the ephemera. For all, all of his songs, so which one would you love to see get that kind of royal treatment at the center?
2: Well, since it's street legal day, I would say <laughs> "Changing of the Guards."
1: Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> you imagine the drafts that thing went through?
2: Uh, because I I would love to see the evolution of that song.
3: Oh, but I just get to pick one, huh? Just um, one, just one. I think I think I'm gonna go with "Foot of Pride" because there. Oh Ooh, yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> For, there were 43 takes, and we 43. heard a few of them on, yep. you know, the last bootleg series. Mm-hmm. It was funny, my wife shared a meme with me uh, when they released the track list for Springtime in New York, and it was this man on his knees on the beach with his hands in his head, like, screaming to the sky, and she cap- captioned it, when they only release seven takes of your favorite Bob Dylan song on the next bootleg series. And I'm like, okay, I, I identify with that because uh, I would love to hear them all. But the evolution that we do hear from too late, even the too late acoustic to electric, to the foot of pride version, uh, the early one to the final one that was on the original bootleg series. I just think there's a lot going on. There's a lot they could do there. Um, And then since I'll cheat a little bit, if they, Through a bonus one, and I think dignity would be another good one too.
1: Mm. Oh,
2: oh, if I get a bonus too, I want to (laughs) be blind. Willie McTell.
1: Ooh, i like that <laughs> no we're this is quickly spiraling out of control okay we should go right before we
2: get really bad
1: <laughs> yeah well, the, the, and this is why people like us can't run the bob dylan center that's exactly because we just be you know we just took out before. this wall here and then uh, <laughs> exactly <laughs> we're just going to annex this bar across the street over here and we're going to just make add a wing to it yeah absolutely well those are of course all fantastic answers so yeah that's that's great so thank you both for answering this question that i'm just bringing on you so uh again thank you question oh thank you again thank you both for coming back on this was so great great way to kind of do a little postscript on a marvelous trip and again you said you said uh, roberta how well it came off yes that is absolutely worth noting that i've been to a lot of conventions where you can't figure out where you're supposed to go you know like and the, the 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 table with the passes isn't where it's supposed to be and nobody's this thing ran as far as I could tell, pretty, pretty much very smoothly.
2: The, the audio you know. doesn't work. The, you know, yeah. the ceiling falls in. Yeah, no, yeah. they did a great job.
1: Yeah. And that, that does take a lot of prep. So yeah, it was, it was truly uh, an amazing weekend. And I'm so glad that I did it. And I'm so glad I got to spend, uh, like I said, a long weekend with my pal, Dan. We've been going to these shows for 30, Bob Dylan shows for 30 years now. Because we're old and it was great to be able to to share this with them and get to sit in the front row and watch me do my presentation which was very very special so again thanks everybody for listening of course you can find all the back episodes of pod dylan on our website fmpods.com and we're always talking about dylan over on twitter at pod underscore dylan so thanks everybody for listening and we will see you later bye bye (laughs) here
0: comes